0: journalism intern with cinema verde and international environmental film and arts festival i'm joined here today by Yopa van dyke he is first and foremost a geologist if i am not mistaken
1: that's correct
0: all right can you tell me a little bit about that geology career
1: sure um i think it started uh i'm not 31 so i think i started when i was 19 Um, just doing undergrad in geology at first I started that because I was really interested by a lecture that I received that I participated in um, by a professor talking about the relationship between human evolution and climate change Um, it was about Africa and how there was this theory that in Africa uh, a couple of million years ago climate was getting a bit drier Uh, retreating the forests and therefore uh, sort of facilitating the evolution of mankind to walk on two legs. And I found that fascinating. Um, I think that sort of got me hooked to the studies and it took another year or so before I really got excited about environmental reconstructions. So using the rock records to sort of open a history book and go back in time to times where we know absolutely nothing about.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm actually in a geology lab right now, so I'm glad to have that tiny bit of background knowledge to bring in right now. So with that geology career behind you, how did that tie in with your current climate pursuits and the making of this film, CO2, CNA? Um,
1: So it's been a growing process, I think, for at least during my undergrad and also during the master's, so the first uh, five years. Um, I was not really uh, activistic, like I wasn't really thinking about climate crisis and things like that. I was just doing my studies and just exploring new things that I was interested by. Um, It wasn't until I was 23 that I was invited to do a PhD, to pursue a PhD in Switzerland um, on reconstructing the climate system in a time where CO two concentrations became very high for a short time period, relatively speaking, and the geology corrected. So to basically study uh, what the future could be like, uh, and, and when I started studying that, so when I started acquiring data on how warm it could theoretically get if we continue to emit CO two, uh, I kind of woke up. So it kind of it kind of woke me up, and I started changed my life. It wasn't just geology though, it was also the environment of people around me. I was in a university town with a lot of uh, progressive people in Switzerland and Zurich and I joined in on some activities, on some workshops and yeah, I slowly started to realize what was going on in the world and uh, and then I slowly started to change my life and I think throughout the four years of my PhD Uh, that became a larger and larger part of myself until the point that I decided that I no longer wanted to fly, which then led to this opportunity to travel to the U.S. without flying, which in itself was just something that I wanted to do. I didn't even want to make a movie about it. Um, But then my sister talked to a journalist, a friend of hers, and that journalist said, wow, he should make a documentary about this. And then she convinced me, my sister. So that's a bit how it came about.
0: Yeah, so it's really just a story about how much education and the influence of people around you can make a difference, especially for someone who can make such a influential, but also fun film without any previous experience.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I I wouldn't have made this film were it not for the people around me. I mean, I think um, even like two things. Like first of all, back when I was in the second year of my PhD, a good friend of mine that I'm still befriended friend, with, she made me realize you you just cannot argue to eat meat anymore, and I just agree with her, and then I stopped eating meat, and, and that was one step, and then. Um, the movie itself was very uncomfortable for me to do because I had no experience. Um, but then, using the people like talking to the people along the way, I kind of made that movie with the people. So it wasn't we didn't even have a script. we just we just made the script on the way, uh, which was also a very, very exciting, actually
0: so the connections that you made with everyone was some of my favorite parts of the film. It seemed that it became, While it was foremost a film about reconceptualizing the technical aspects of travel, it seemed to take on a life of its own as also reconceptualizing what the actual goals of travel are. I know that as your friend Robert put while you were sailing, the transition to sustainability also requires slowing down, getting into another rhythm, connecting with the elements and surrendering independency. You also said yourself that we're seeing nature brought back to its primal essence on the ship. Do you believe that pursuing sustainability is also a pursuit of deeper connection within ourselves, each other, and nature?
1: Definitely. Um, I'm very happy with the the parts of the movie that you pick out because actually when you say that again, the things that I said, a shiver runs through me, which means I think you're exactly on point. some people ask me sometimes, yup, if you would get all the money in the world to solve all these ecological problems, what would you do? And the latest theory I have is I would make it possible for people to work less and invest more into their own personal growth and the growth of their environment around them. And it's not, not, it's not just the natural environment, also their friends and family. Uh, I think we're working far too much um, and that prevents us from connecting with the planet and it makes us numb. A friend of mine once cited, once quoted Joanna Macy's work, I'm not sure if you know her, um, but she said the biggest challenge of our time is people that are numb and I completely agree. And I think that's because we're working too much. And in fact, one person in the movie, uh, Scott, the one I interviewed in the Dominican Republic, the first thing she told me when I asked her, what do we do to solve this problem? She says we ought to stop working. So I think, I think you're right in what you said.
0: Yes, I was just going to go your friend, Scott, who had some just absolutely beautiful things to say about exactly what you're we talking about. She had one line where she said, quote, everything becomes a single thing in plastic, which I think is more than just the literal everything becoming a single thing in plastic. It's almost as if human experience has been compartmentalized into just single things within plastic. Um, you also recognize that you had bought yourself moments of rest by devouring the culture of other countries, which is also just a very impactful line in the film. Please elaborate on how travel can be reconceived in those terms of escaping that plastic and escaping that consumerism of other countries and just experience in general.
1: That's a great question. Um, It's a very difficult question. Uh, and I'm trying to do my best to give some inspiration in the film. What I think is the first thing that we need to do in order to uh, change this travel culture is to actually ask ourselves, what do we want to do with this particular trip that we are undertaking? What is the goal? Um, If we ask ourselves that question and we really ask it, then I think we can start figuring out what the real problem is underneath, what the real need is. And maybe we figure out that we don't even have to travel, that there is a different problem, which is bothering us. I think that would be the first step, like getting time to figure out what our emotions are telling us before we just quickly book a trip to the other side of the world. Um, that's what I think would be the first step.
0: Yes, it seems like travel, has become something that's just almost like something you buy yourself when you're feeling down instead of a real thing with purpose. It it seems like you weren't even on a trip, but a voyage and a trek, for with a real purpose, which was the purpose to get to your job in Boulder. So I think, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was the purpose of the trip. And I, you know, there was, there were moments uh, like now uh, in the last couple of months That I've been, you know, back into work life and thinking maybe I want to do a trip like this again. Uh, But every time I consider doing another world trip, I realize that it's just not going to give me the same satisfaction as the trip to Boulder did because there isn't a clear goal. So I've I've been talking to people about doing a world trip. Um, But every time I talk about that, my friends and, and, and myself, we, we sort of get to the understanding that that's not really going to make me happy. I don't need to travel right now. Um, so that's this, again, what I said before, asking yourself the question, why do you want to go to Asia? Why do you want to go to Patagonia? I think, and that then, then if you ask yourself the question, I'm repeating myself a little bit, but that, that will give you an answer. And uh, what you want in the end is find the way in which you can achieve personal growth. Uh, because I do believe that only by pursuing personal growth can you then afterwards start to invest in the community around you. And personal growth is not always travel.
0: Personal growth is something that was extremely highlighted in your film. A lot of people that you interviewed were talking about how they wouldn't want to surrender their worldly travel because of the personal growth that they got out of it. But another thing that was in the film was a friend of yours that you meet along the way, Adam Jenkins said that we cannot undervalue what we have at our fingertips. As we come to shift our thinking towards personal growth and wanting to be better, do you think there will be a shift to a local life more than a global life and finding those things that we're seeking closer to us instead of thinking that they will be in say Asia?
1: This is a very hard question. Um, I think so. There's 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 one part to this question which I'm going to answer first, and that is the necessity. So, given the state of the world, and I'm talking about crossing planetary boundaries, so the biodiversity crisis, the nitrogen deposition crisis, and the climate crisis, we're we're sort of forced now. To change your behavior. And it's already happening and it's only going to happen more. And for that reason in itself, we're already going to be forced to live more local lives. Or we're going to have to live lives where we can travel, but we're going to have to do it very slowly without harming uh, ecosystems along the way. Um, I do not know which of these two futures is going to be the reality, but I don't really see a different way if we want to maintain current popular vision.
0: Yeah. That does bring me back to something that I was reading some other interviews that you did, and in a piece for the Boulder-based news organization, Daily Camera, you posed the question, am I as an individual worth more than the individuals five generations from now, which is thinking about the worth of the population. And I think that sentence to American ears especially can be some very radical thinking. Am I as an individual worth more than the individuals five generations from now? Um, So was this always your frame of mind? Or was it something in your journey and career that led you to that frame of thinking?
1: Um, Well, it has certainly not always been in my mind. Um, and I'm a very honest person. Uh, so I will share with you something that I know of when I was younger, even younger than I am now. I'm still relatively young, I guess. Um, before I did my PhD, I, I think I, you know, I was still quite young, still quite unexperienced in the world. And I recall thinking very practically about how to maintain a healthy planet. Um, and at that time I was really fascinated about, um, the pursuit for endless life. And I think what I came to realize is guys, we're just going to have to make a very rational decision. Once you reach a certain age, you're going to have to stop. (laughs) And that was, that was very radical. And that's something I thought when I was like 20, um, I no longer think that way. Um, I think that's unethical, um, not fair. Um, at least those two things. And to come back to your question, how did it grow to say something like that? I think it's the geological mindset. So, um, a friend of mine once told me that I have now spent — she made me realize that I've now spent 10 years of my life trying to understand Earth as a system through time. Um, and that gives you a certain perspective that not most people have, you know, my work in my work, I go back 600 million years and that, that really makes you wonder what is the importance of my own life in this little lifespan. It's sometimes very hard to separate those two things from another. So I think. Where does a statement like that come from? I think it comes from two things. It comes, one, from this geological perspective, and two, from, I think, a lot of empathy on my side. I do actually think that I actually have sometimes a bit too much empathy that I don't think about my own life anymore, but too much about other people. And I, lately I've been asking myself the question, you, if it would suddenly solve all ecological problems of the world, would you be happy? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can then finally start living my own life. Um, but I hope that answers your question a little bit. It's a very difficult one.
0: No, yes, you did a great job answering it. And I do, I completely understand what you mean with that empathy. It seems that like, some point to try to take on the weight of the environmental, ecological problems that are facing us, it's to completely eradicate the the wants and needs of the self with the way that we know how to navigate life as we know it we know to drive everywhere we know to fly places we know to consume energy and to honestly just consume a lot so to for a lot of people i think to take on this empathetic ethical weight can be really scary with that i did want to ask you after your journey do you now find flying to be ethically irresponsible and if you do do you think yes. that's a responsibility that applies to everybody?
1: Um, okay. So, hmm. So, for my life, I have decided that I no longer want to fly. Um, but I've also, because for me, I don't see any reason why I would fly. Uh, I don't think it outweighs. Um, so, if I would fly for my work or to see friends, or to travel, to go to a beach somewhere. I don't think the gain from that outweighs the um, what it does to the planet. Um, but I also have come to know that there's multiple truths in the world. And I do not understand everything, and I will never understand everything about how human society works, how uh, what the importance would actually be, what the ripple effects would be of certain people flying from one place to the other. Like, for instance, if a very, you know, very influential politician would fly from New York to go to Davos to the economic forum, I cannot foresee what the ripple effect of that would be on the well-being of the planet. I will not rule out the possibility that it actually is important that that person actually goes to this economic forum. Um, that being said, given the state of things and given the fact that since the Corona pandemic, we've been able to transition so much to the digital realm, I think we can do without.
0: Yeah, it seems like we need almost a humbling and a development of energy humility in what we think that is. Ode to us in forms of travel, It's especially on your stretch biking, I thought it was a really great point to support that concept of, like, if you want to go somewhere, take yourself there. Um, and so just in kind of a more lighthearted question, how was that 1600 mile journey? Did it take any training at all? Was there anything that you would want to point out that wasn't maybe shown on screen?
1: Um... I've actually uh, I just come I've just come back from a from a week of uh, of biking uh, not as crazy as as, as uh, in the film uh, but biking with my father in southern France by train um, and we talked about this uh, because so he basically said because right now I'm going to let me give some context right now and over the last year I've been going through a lot of uh, let's say. Uh, tired faces, like I really I'm recovering from a lot of things Um, and I won't go into details, but something my father said is you do not underestimate what you did during this bike trip. Thinking back, because I've done another bike trip last summer uh, which was quite similar so another bike touring trip and I could not do again what I did when I was going to Boulder I think I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think, first of all, humans can do crazy things when they have a goal that they believe in. I think that's probably the main thing. I really, really, really believed, started believing during this journey that I had to do this journey and had to make a movie about it. And I think that gave me the strength to do what I did. Because honestly, physically speaking, it makes no sense. I was sitting nine weeks on my ass on a ship and then I was biking every day. Um, and there were a couple of moments during the bike trip, which I also tried to put the video in the movie a little bit, where I went too far. Um, I recall, not that I'm speaking to you, I recall a moment when I was 10 miles out of, um, of Clayton, I think, a very tiny village um, in New Mexico. and. Um, I had to sit down next to uh, some kind of windmill, and uh, now it, was, it wasn't the windmill. Anyway, I had to sit down because I just couldn't couldn't go on anymore. And um, I, I think I've been lucky. I think it could have gone much worse, honestly. Um, that's how I think about it now, and that I think that emphasizes one thing: is don't do this at home. <laughs> but also. Um, Just try to see it as an example, Um, but don't try to do the same thing because it's scary. I I recently, I'm not sure if you noticed, but I I saw this documentary, 14 Peaks. Have you seen it?
0: I have not. Do you want to give a quick brief about it?
1: 14 Peaks documentary is now on Netflix and it's about a Nepalese uh, Sherpa. I forgot his name. And he sets himself the goal to climb all the 14, 8,000 over meters peaks in the Himalayas in seven months. And the physical undertaking of that is insane. Um, And when I saw that movie, first of all, I was just impressed by what this man was able to do. But I also got a bit scared because. <laughs> I think we shouldn't take these things as examples because you can die. And I think during this bike trip, I could have died. And I say this now because last summer, I was biking in uh, in southern France, and I also had a moment where I wasn't really listening to myself enough, and I had a bit of tunnel vision, and I got a heat stroke in the middle of nowhere, and I was taken out by an ambulance, and I realized there. You have to be be careful about these things. Like, there is a limit.
0: Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing when I was watching you bike. It was that same thing that you were seeing watching your film. Like, I'm really impressed, but then I was also like, I'm really concerned. Like, I know know it's (laughs) going to work out well, but it is, it does go, I was thinking that it was exactly what you were saying. It just goes back to the power of a very specific goal in mind that you believe in. And also, I think there was like one point where you were, feel like tired or about to give up and just like a conversation with someone gave you inspiration to keep going a little bit more and I think that that's one of my favorite things about your film there's a lot of films that I've seen and that I watch but not every single one is so fun in its approach to the environmental crisis and so forth thinking Um, What differences have you noticed in the fun approach to reducing CO2 emissions? And do you think there's room for positivity in talks of climate change?
1: Yeah, um, this is a very important point that you're raising, uh, at least in my opinion. Um, I have been, like, I made this movie, it it was finished last year. Um, I haven't always been the most optimistic person. And I think when I started to become engaged in climate action, that was about um, five years ago, I couldn't have made this film then. And the reason I'm saying this is because this film is also the result of so many conversations and discussions that turned into heat discussions and into fights, like arguments between friends and family colleagues, you know, I even had a fight once with a colleague and I had to make an apple pie the next day just to make it up to her about this topic and what may, what all of this made me realize, and it all came together actually, I'm, I'm building up to it, but it all came together a month ago when I read a book which is called Humankind, and I will refer to it again later. Um, what it, What it made me realize is that people know what the problem is. They want to have solutions. And um, that's one. And another thing I realized is, and I believe that, and it's also radical to some people, I believe that everyone has the best intentions. I believe that everyone is a good person. And they don't disrupt planetary boundaries on purpose. Um, if you take those two things into consideration, then the best way to communicate these things is humor is making it fun. Um, because people don't want to hear the crisis anymore. They already know. They just want, you, they just want to know how to solve it. And um, and another thing I realized is <laughs> I was sitting on a bike once. It was in Zurich. And I had a bit of a difficult face. Um, it can be quite hard to, to get in all this information about the climate system uh, when not so many people believe in climate science. So I had one of these days where I was a bit troubled. And I was standing next to, the, next to the traffic light, and I was thinking to myself, I'm not going to convince all these cars around me to start riding a bicycle if I have a very moody face. So I may as well just smile when I'm standing here, because otherwise, nothing is going to happen. Um, I hope I'm making a little sense. I think that's how it sort of came to be, that I wanted to make a fun movie. One, I, I want to add one more thing to it, and that's that I saw two documentaries. Uh, which are important to me, which were, of course, Inconvenient Truth and Beyond the Flood. And both of those documentaries are so pessimistic. Um, People talk about it for a week, but then they don't talk about it anymore because it's too dark. And that made me realize that I have to make a fun movie because otherwise we're not going to solve this problem.
0: (laughs) Especially there's also a certain resilience in a fun and humorous approach And it's also a lot more effective to get people on board with something when you make it fun than when you make it that dark and pessimistic thing. It's almost, I think, at sometimes more important to just get people doing something than to get them to really fully and completely digest the complete daunting weight of climate change. If they have that whole process, like if they have that whole thing processed, but at the end of it, they're just so petrified and so sad that they're just sitting down and being sad, that's doing a lot more harm than just getting people really excited to go pick up trash for a little bit. So it definitely doesn't need to be this horrible thing that it is all the time. It can just be the fun action of taking care of ourselves and the world around us, and making more fun choices. Definitely. All right, I am getting just a slight bit out of questions, so we are going to wrap up, but I did want to end with just one little thing. Um, That marlin catch that you found very discomforting at the time, you said you couldn't eat a bite. Have your feelings changed since then? Or are we still just not on board with the the fish on board?
1: Um, My feelings haven't changed. Um, Not about that blue marlin. Uh, I believe what I said in that film, I believe that still today. Uh, I'm not going to say it changes in the next 10 years. Maybe it does. You know, People change. But right now, I still feel about it the same way. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, people have spoken to me about Seaspiracy. I, I haven't seen it because I already know what's in there. Um, and I've stopped eating fish a while ago. Um, so yeah, those those feelings don't change uh, yet, at least.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was something that at first I w- was seeing and I was like, oh, that's like kind of humorous. We don't like the fish. But then I was like, and it does speak a little, it does speak more to just kind of like where we are in a different place now with consumption and catching of animals around us, especially as there are more options available as you were going on with what your friend was saying, how there's really not even a need to eat meat anymore. So it kind of at first it was a funny thing, but then it turned into a very real thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. By the way, I really loved your questions. Very, oh,
0: thank you so much. I loved nice. your answers. It was a great, <laughs> great time talking with you. Is there anything else you'd like to get out before we say goodbye?
1: Um. No, not at the moment. I recommend *Humankind* the book to everyone. I think it's a really good book. Um. Something that I realized. When I finished reading it, it's not something that I always knew. Um, so I will give you a little teaser about the book and, and the people that maybe watch this. Um, so there is this concept, this this concept in evolution theory, which is survival of the fittest. And when I think, like within the current uh, way society works, when I think of the word fit. I think of fitness, I think of people going to the gym, doing CrossFit, you know, those kind of things. That's what I think about. Um, so even though I learned at high school that survival of the fitness has nothing to do with strength necessarily, subconsciously I took that as, as the reason. Uh, but after reading the book Humankind, I came to believe, because of the arguments that the writer poses, that it's always been survival of the friendliest. Um, the only reason we're here on this planet right now is because we're very friendly the organisms, we help each other. And I think if we all start to appreciate that everyone around us means well, I think the world will really start to become an even better place than it
0: already is. I completely agree, that was beautifully put. All right. Thank you so much for speaking and having a conversation with me today. It was amazing talking with you. Thank you so much for also submitting your film to Cinema Verde. CO2, CNA is available to watch at any point after February 12th, I believe. Thank you so much. You have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you, Anna. You too.